Hello, and welcome to the Holiday Moons Podcast, where we share our love for the holidays with you year-round. This is Randy, and I will be continuing to talk about vacations in the United States this week in the 1960s. This is Cole, and I'm going to be continuing my Off the Beaten Path series, going continent to continent, and this week talking about Off the Beaten Path in Asia. This is Beth, and I'm going to be talking about a delicious, cool, smooth, summery treat, the Orange Julius. It's been a long time since I've had an Orange Julius. Right? Mm -hmm. I'm not even sure I know what an Orange Julius is. You will by the time I'm done. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Or I'll be very confused if this was like our lemonade discussion. (laughs) (laughs) And that's right. You heard just three of us this week. Sydney is off this week. As Cole was off last week. They traded. But as always, we start with our holiday happenings for this week. I know I just have one. This is the week of July 4th. So today is June 30th. July 1st starts tomorrow, as does the heat. It started to heat up quite a bit in Virginia in the 90s. The 4th of July week, we have plans to hopefully go up to Niagara Falls for the 4th of July for Beth and I with friends. So we'll share that with you uh, next week and how everything went with that. So hopefully that'll be fun to see the 4th of July fireworks over Niagara Falls. Haven't done that before. Does anyone else have a holiday happening for the week? Yeah, so I'll mention that I was not able to be on the podcast last week because I was in North Carolina for a friend's wedding. So I know June weddings are uh, are a really big thing. Not exactly holiday, but a lot of people take holiday for uh, a lot of different weddings. Right, and we're seasonal, and there certainly is a season for weddings. But June weddings are kind of famous, right? That's right. See, what I understood was that winter weddings were famous, but I think Hallmark has has misled me, (laughs) watching too much of the Hallmark channel. Well, I think winter weddings are wonderful, and we should embrace that. We should wheelie embrace that. You're going with winter weddings are wonderful. (laughs) So should we wheelie embrace that? Actually, Hallmark has a June wedding series for Hallmark movies right now. Yeah. But let's face it, we're all just waiting for... The winter ones. Winter ones, yeah. Yeah. Which start this week. The Christmas in July. That's right, Christmas in July. And the 4th of July has a lot of existing Hallmark shows that are playing through that day. We won't probably be sitting in the hotel watching those. We won't, no. (laughs) We'll have to DVR them. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Well, thanks for sharing that. So I'll begin our first topic of the day, which is mine. Talking about vacations in the United States this week in the 1960s. As always, I talk about the events that were going on during that decade. Just so the listener can kind of understand what else was happening during that decade when certain vacation types came along. In the 1950s, we talked about Disneyland and the opening of that. This decade is the 1960s. So starting with 1960, that's when the U-2 high-altitude spy plane from the United States was shot down over the Soviet Union when Gary Powers was captured and later exchanged for a Russian spy, Rudolf Abel. In 1961, the U.S. trained Cuban exiles to attempt to overthrow the Castro government in Cuba with an invasion called the Bay of Pigs. This invasion failed badly and was a major embarrassment to the Kennedy administration. It was also the year, 1961, that the Berlin Wall was constructed and the first man was sent into space, Yuri Gagarin of the Soviet Union. In 1962, that was the year of the Cuban Missile Crisis. 
It was also when Nelson Mandela was arrested in South Africa and spent many, many years in prison. And it was also the year that the first Walmart discount store opened up in Arkansas. Fun. Yeah. That's kind of a fun thing after all of that. <laughs> I know. There's really a lot of bad things that happened in the yeah. 60s. For instance, 1963, JFK President John F. Kennedy is assassinated. But same year, the Beatles released their first album, Please Please Me. 1964, the Beatles made their first U.S. television debut on The Ed Sullivan Show. The next morning, practically every newspaper wrote that the Beatles were nothing more than a fad and could not carry a tune across the Atlantic. Oh, well. 1965, MLK Martin Luther King Jr. leads 4,000 people on a march in Alabama. In space news, the Gemini missions carry the first two manned crews into space and enable the first spacewalk by an American, also the year that the St. Louis Gateway Arch is completed. In 1966, this is when, in China, the Cultural Revolution launches. It's also when the first integrated radio circuit was completed. 1967, let's see, this was the year I was born. That's listed here. Uh, (laughs) Let's see, by the year end, we have 480,000 U.S. troops in Vietnam. And we have a large number of people protesting Vietnam in Washington, D.C. It's the first Super Bowl. Green Bay Packers beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And the first ATM, automatic teller machine, is put into service in London. In 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. is assassinated. In 1969, that's the year of Woodstock, when 300,000 rock and roll fans attended three days of music, peace, and love. It's also the year that Apollo 11 landed on the moon. In computer technology, a microprocessor is invented. And the Concorde, the first supersonic passenger jet, makes its maiden flight. So all that was going on. So still a lot of turmoil in the United States. Yeah. Um, First decade. It was. But one of the vacation spots that became very popular in the um, 1960s, in fact it became an obsession in many ways for Americans, was going to Hawaii. In the 1960s, Hawaii underwent a major growth spurt. It officially became a state on August 21st, 1959, and we had a romanticized idea of Hawaii, which spread like wildfire, complete with tiki torches, bright aloha shirts, and beautiful tanned hula dancers swaying to lazy slack key melodies. After all, who wouldn't want to visit the nation's newest and most exotic state? Prior to 1960, the pineapple and sugar industries were the top revenue producers in the islands. But between 1960 and 70, the increase in visitors was massive. Tourist arrivals grew from almost 300,000 per year to 1.7 million per year during that decade. There was a huge construction boom in the 1960s. Hotels were rising and apartment buildings were springing up like mushrooms. Though 93% of Hawaii residents voted in favor of statehood, the island chain still has a tumultuous history with the United States. Nevertheless, statehood brought national attention to the islands, creating a worldwide explosion of all things Hawaiian. So I'm going to list five major reasons why Hawaii became so popular in the 1960s as a tourist destination. Number one, Elvis and the media. So there's no denying that Elvis was one of the brightest stars of mid-century America. 
and he really loved Hawaii. Elvis biographer Jerry Hopkins said, Everyone who knew him says there were two places Elvis felt at home. They were Memphis and Hawaii. And he filmed three movies in Hawaii all during the 1960s. Blue Hawaii, Girls, 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 (laughs) and Paradise, Hawaiian style. Hawaii was further drawn into the spotlight with the 1968 premiere of a hugely popular television series. Do you remember what it was? Hawaii Five-0, the original one, which helped cement the young state as an aspirational vacation destination despite all the murder and and um, mayhem and criminal activities <laughs> shown in that show. <laughs> Number two reason is tiki culture. Thanks to lots of glossy representation, tiki culture raged through the country in the 1960s. Aloha shirts and Polynesian-themed hotels popped up everywhere. The popularity of the Kahiki Supper Club in Columbus, Ohio, is a prime example of how the island lifestyle became emblematic of a happy, more relaxed attitude. Founded in 1961, the Kahiki checked every stereotype off the list. Thatched roofs, totems, seashell lamps, skull-shaped mugs, and flaming drinks. Number three... Jet travel. It's no coincidence that Hawaii, which is the most isolated landmass in the world, experienced a boom in tourism at the same time that jet travel became accessible. Pan Am's 1959 introduction of the Boeing 707 jet service to the islands opened the floodgate of visitors. Airlines promptly set about wooing passengers, encouraging them to travel to places like Hawaii. One vintage United Airlines advertisement describes Hawaii as painted in every hue of the rainbow, flavored to every taste, guaranteed to relax. All you need to do is choose your island. The Aloha Spirit will do the rest. Number four, the Arizona Memorial. 21 years after the attacks on Pearl Harbor, Americans were eager to commemorate the 2,500 men and women who died during the attacks. The iconic Arizona Memorial was constructed and opened in 1962. In 1963, President John F. Kennedy visited the still young state and the newly opened memorial to pay his respects. Every president since has laid a wreath and dropped a flower in the memorial well. And the memorial has become a major tourist attraction in Hawaii. Today, more than 1.5 million people visit the memorial each year. And fifth, surf culture. As the Beach Boys quote, let's go surfing now. Everybody's learning how. (laughs) The 1962 Beach Boys anthem, Surf and Safari, might have only been two minutes long, but it sure did make an impact on the world's perception of surfing. Surf culture took off in the 1960s, especially in Southern California. Today, tourists travel to Waikiki beaches in droves to try their hand at the obscure sport. (laughs) And the 1966 cult classic surf documentary, The Endless Summer, featured Hawaii's most famous surf spots. So those five reasons, and a lot of this information comes from an article by Landis Kearns. So even as Hawaii became more of a tourist destination, more and more films and TV series were including Hawaii in that. So it's kind of a, what's the word I'm looking for? Like Hawaiian? No, it was a chicken and egg thing, right? Which which one became more popular? But the 
TV and movies that were showing Hawaii even encouraged more and more people to go to Hawaii. So just a list of a few shows where Hawaii was one of the major themes along the way. In 1953 was the movie From Here to Eternity. In 1958, South Pacific was actually filmed in Hawaii, not in Bali High. Blue Hawaii, which we mentioned, um, the Elvis film, was shot in Hawaii in 1961. Gilligan's Island, the series, was actually filmed in Hawaii. Really? On the north shore of Kauai from 64 to 66. I did not realize that. There was a movie called Hawaii. It was an epic drama. It was filmed in Hawaii in 1966. It's a story of a missionary and his wife that moved to Hawaii in the 1800s. And then, of course, we mentioned Hawaii Five-0, which was filmed in Hawaii from 1968 to 1980. I remember the Brady Bunch episode. Yeah, I was thinking the same in Hawaii, thing. But that wasn't actually filmed in Hawaii. I was sad to find out. Really? But it was actually in the 70s, not in the 60s. So oh. I was listing things focused on that in the 60s time frame that would have encouraged people to go to Hawaii. We actually got to go to Hawaii, not in the 1960s, but in 2005 as a family. Yep. We went to the island of Maui and I visited. Honolulu and the... Um, Oahu? Did you visit Oahu? Oahu is part of that trip. So what did you guys think of Maui? Well, Sydney and Cole, I believe, were 9 and 11 at the time. Mm-hmm. I thought it was gorgeous. I mean, it looks just like the... All the movies and, and all the, the shows and the pictures. And yeah. It looks just as stunning in right. real life. And the pictures... Right now, Cole's looking at a, a book that I had made... After we got back from our pictures, and the it's just stunning. I mean, the pictures, and that was 2005, so it's not like the photography was amazing back then. Right. We didn't have our phones that had the cameras. Yeah. And it still was just gorgeous pictures. Yeah. When you when I looked at the 1960s pictures from tourists back then, and then I looked at what we had taken there not a lot has changed from a tourist perspective the colors are still the same the island is still (laughs) basically gorgeous i mean every shot you take is just a beautiful wonderful shot we had the opportunity to go up up to the crater of haleakala that's right where there's also an observatory up there it's a Um, dormant volcano right and it's the landscape up there was like a it was like mars it was like a mars yeah kind of desolate reddish color landscape it just mm. looked like a completely different world up there and it was above the clouds and it was over ten thousand feet yeah it was right yep. about ten thousand feet yeah there's a picture of me in there uh next to the sign that says the exact elevation i know that's what i'm looking for as i'm yeah. looking through the um book here but one of the things i thought was really interesting that in order to get up the volcano it was a back and forth zigzag road system because you had to acclimate to the height. They um, had said if you get sick at any point, you just have to go back down. You're not going to be able to acclimate. But the road system goes back and forth enough to help you acclimate. Yeah. I get motion sick, so I was a little scared that I was going to get sick. But I didn't at all. And it was amazing. It was above the clouds. It's 10,023 feet. There's a picture of coal with the elevation. So I, I was doing some work with the observatory up there, and it was interesting to hear them talk about how difficult it was to build up there because of the Nene birds, which made it at certain times of the year. So you could, had to 
build around the Nene bird's mating schedule. The little plants that would grow up, um, I forget what they were called, but if that plant would grow up in a spot, you couldn't build it in that spot anymore until that plant had died. And no, you could not... Transplant. Pluck, you couldn't transplant, nor could you pluck it and, and make it go away. That was <laughs> right. also an extreme fine. And there were um, native burial sites up there that they cordoned off. So they had to work around all those things in order to do something as simple as building a shed up there to, to have more storage. So it was really interesting to talk to them about that. We also, you know, we talked about how in the, in the 50s, prior to the 60s, pineapples and sugar and those sorts of things were really big. We got to visit a working farm. Uh, a although, sugar plantation. Yeah, although it was still tourist kind of focused. Um, they did deliver and produce and deliver sugar as well. But it showed us how they grew pineapples. That's when we first that learned. Was a pine- that was at the pineapple plantation. Oh, okay. There were two different things. There was two different visits. Mm-hmm. So combining those two together. Mm-hmm. Fun. Fun for <laughs> well, the podcast. Well, it was podcast. in 2005. <laughs> so it's yeah. kind of hard to remember all the time. a while different. ago, yeah. yeah. But it was still fun to see like with the outdoor plantation... How they grew the pineapples and the macadamia nuts and all those sorts of things along the way. Um, And then we also went to the rainforest. We went to the Eau Needle, which was a park with all the, like, a a bunch bunch of cats, cats, wild cats in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wild, meaning they weren't somebody's cats. Yeah, yeah. They were still cats. Yeah. And then we went across the island to the um, Luau. The the Luau. Luau. Thank you. (laughs) To the Luau. It was. Old Lahaina, I think. It was one of the more original types of luau's. Yeah, like traditional dancing and luau foods. And right. The pig was cooked the traditional way, served on platters. And they made lays and gave them to you. It was a really neat experience. Yeah, a lot of fun. And I can see why Elvis enjoyed going there. <laughs> right. I would like to go there again. Yeah, beautiful, wonderful place to visit. I think right. yeah, everybody would probably like to go there. <laughs> I know, right? It's gorgeous. And it's fun that I had made this book. It was um, a digital book. We have a lot of those memories right there. Definitely a tropical paradise. Right. Um, it's interesting because when I was looking up places off the beaten path in Asia, a lot of them were very tropics focused as far mm-hmm. as you know touristy kind of things but a lot of them were also very densely either populated by local populations or populated by tourists a lot of you know the the resorts that you could go to um you know i asked this about europe too but what do you usually think of when you think of like going to asia for vacations i think of japan i think of going to china the great you know visiting the big sites at the Great Wall of China and some of the bigger cities there. But I think some of the other really big ones that people visit a lot are Thailand, yeah, the Maldives. Uh, a lot of people actually do go to like Vietnam for yeah. uh, vacationing and that kind of thing. Just in general, the Siamese Peninsula, a lot of people visit that area, Indonesia. No. <laughs> Is that a no for you? I said I don't visit there. You don't, <laughs> you don't visit there. Um... We haven't visited there, no. We haven't visited there. Well, I was just trying to think, where are the Disney resorts? <laughs> <laughs> Japan, oh. Shanghai, so Hong Kong. Hong Kong. 
Yeah. yeah. Always so great places. So everywhere <laughs> that there's a Disney resort, yeah. that's where you would visit. Is there one in so, Vietnam? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't. To my knowledge, there is not one in Vietnam. Yeah, I, I have seen um, beautiful pictures of the ruins in Vietnam. I had no idea that yeah, they were. Vietnam has a very, it's a very unique style of building mm-hmm. things that's very different than anywhere else in Asia. There's a lot of their buildings which remind me of sort of a hanging gardens kind of thing. Like yeah. There's a lot of things planted on roofs, but they also have that sort of wooden and Asian structure to their building. You're totally going to be joking, but I'm not. <laughs> the one section of the Jungle Cruise that you go underneath the tunnel into the dark, yeah. that outside section reminds me of Vietnam and the pictures I've seen. I could see that. Yeah. Because there's a lot of places, there's a lot of bays mm-hmm. that have sort of these large circular rocks jutting out sort of at these odd angles. They almost look like tube-shaped mountains coming out of the water and a lot of arches and stuff. But I'm not not actually... You're sending me on a a (laughs) different wild beast chase here because I'm actually talking about Sri Lanka today. And if you don't know where or what Sri Lanka is, it's uh, it's a large island south of the Indian subcontinent, right below the Deccan Plateau. To give you a little background, Sri Lanka is is an independent country. It was originally populated by a group of people called the Sinhala, the Sinhalese, uh, and it's today predominantly populated by two ethnic groups, the Sinhalese and the Tamil. And at various points through its history, it's been independent and it's been occupied by various Indian and European states. So first it was occupied by the Cholas Empire from India, then later the Portuguese, and then the Sri Lankan people. It wasn't called Sri Lanka at this time, it was called Ceylon at this time. The Portuguese weren't very nice to them, uh, so they asked the Dutch to come and help get rid of the Portuguese. There were a series of wars, the Dutch were able to remove the Portuguese, but then they didn't give anything back, and they just took the island for themselves. And then the British did the same thing. Wow, so they really experienced a lot of changes during the colonization period. Right. Throughout their history, they've experienced a lot of changes, mm-hmm. but despite that, you get a interesting and strong culture that's still there in Sri Lanka, but you also get an interesting mix of different sort of what you would see European forts, Indian, Buddhist, all kinds of different buildings, all kinds of different designs, and cultures mixing together. So it's not quite like Bulgaria. I wouldn't really say the two are comparable to each other. Sri Lanka is definitely more of a tropical paradise than just a European beachfront experience. Wow, so it's more like Hawaii. So it's more, it is more like Hawaii. Um, the two are sort of... I guess, aesthetically, actually kind of similar. Does Sri Lanka have fun movies that were made in it? Did Elvis ever visit? (laughs) To my knowledge, Elvis (laughs) never visited Sri Lanka. Okay, well. A lot of Portuguese, British, and Dutch people (laughs) visited, (laughs) quote unquote, visited, yeah, visited and stayed for a while. They must have, they must have liked it. They stayed for a while. (laughs) Um, It must have great cinnamon because... They were always demanding cinnamon from local <laughs> populations. Really? 
Yep. That's a big cinnamon so, exported area. Yep. So was that one of the reasons why it kept changing hands? Was yeah. So that was because of the spice trade that it was constantly changing hands. Yep. So definitely a tropical paradise. There's a lot of different resorts that you can go to, uh, like Bulgaria. They have a big tourist sector. Now, unlike Bulgaria, Sri Lanka is actually going to be a little more expensive in the touristy areas. And I think that's something that's very indicative of Asian countries is that they will overcharge the tourist areas a lot. So if you want to have a more authentic experience, maybe relax a little more in the in less populated areas and less densely touristed areas, there's actually plenty of places to check out. There's plenty of beaches. Sri Lanka has a ton of hills that are very famous that uh, have a ton of hiking locations through you know what you think of as, as paradise kind of thing they have very scenic mountains cliffs with bridges that you can just get lost in the you know not actually get lost so but. it's an island which is interesting because you then you go you have beaches but you also have mountains with snow right mm-hmm. so you get the whole range depending on what you want and I'm guessing it has jungle or or it has a lot of jungle in it. okay so yep. so so Sri Lanka is interesting because it's not as densely populated as the other nearby countries that are in the Indian subcontinent, Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, those kind of areas. So you can go there, you have the tropical climate, but you can also experience Buddhist, Hindi kind of culture uh, without getting into the big touristy areas in India, like a lot of people... A lot of the big cities sort of turn people off in India because they are so densely populated. So on traveltriangle.com, there's a few a few notes about visiting Sri Lanka. It says that there are a lot of places, and it's interesting, they also say off the beaten path, where you can go and you can get away from the touristy areas. There's a lot of different natural landmarks, temples, forts, that kind of thing. Uh, it seems like it's a really big area for hiking along the hills. It looks amazing because it's all through very scenic jungles and routes, and you can find plenty of tour guides to take you all over the island. People say that the food is fantastic there. I was gonna say, going to say, yeah. is it mostly Indian similar? It's very similar to Indian food. They say rice and dal curry is really big there. But there's also a lot of seafood there it says it's a very seafood kind of place which makes sense because it's an island right yeah so crab is also a huge delicacy there as well there's a lot of places very unfortunately in asia where it's not great to go off alone if you're female and you're a traveler but a lot of things say that sri lanka you know you might get somebody catcalling or whistling which is unfortunate but generally, it is a safe place to go off alone, even if you are a, a female traveler. Yeah, I was looking at a site that talked about the bombings that happened over Easter in April in Sri Lanka. And because a lot of people are asking, is Sri Lanka safe now? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the authorities have arrested those responsible. They've uncovered all the details. And basically, most people are saying it's like any other country anywhere else that you can run into spontaneous terrorists or other types of things you can do that in paris too right so it's no less safe than other places 
in the world. Obviously, you just need to be aware of your surroundings and be careful that way. Right. Right. And relatively speaking, I mean, Sri Lanka doesn't really have much like ethnic turmoil, or there's not right. a lot, there's not a lot of internal problems with Sri Lanka. Right. So. And it has a huge tourist sector, which means they're going to keep their tourists safe because that is such a big industry in the country. Right. It has a long Buddhist and Hindu history. So a couple of notes. A lot of people were saying to be make sure that you are very respectful of Buddhism when you're there, you know, watching what you're wearing when you're going into Buddhist temples. If you have a Buddha tattoo, covering that up because that's not something that's respectful to the culture. But because of that, if you are a Buddhist, it's a fantastic place to go and check out all the temples and all the cultural sites. So a few cool places to check out. Sigiriya, ancient ruins and rock fortress. Kandy, Temple of the Tooth and Asala Palace. And Kandy was the name of one of the more well-known kingdoms on the continent. Mm. Even though people who speak English kind of laugh about that because it's called candy it's the candy kingdom <laughs> but there's the yala national park there's anurahadrapura buddhist temples ruins and safaris which is cool and that's another cool thing that they have they have safaris that you can go out onto they have a lot of local wildlife elephants that kind of thing that you can go you can ride and experience pinawala zoos sinharaja forest reserve National parks, Jaffna, temples and forts, Tisa Maharama, more temples, lakes, parks. They're just all over the place. The beaches look beautiful. There's, uh, like I said, all kinds of old Indian, Sinhalese, Tamil culture buildings, all kinds of things to check out. It's own kind of little... It's its own little tropical paradise in an unexpected place. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I didn't know much about Sri Lanka from a tourism or vacation perspective, but it does have a lot of really interesting places to visit and things to do. That's my kind of vacation. <laughs> right, lots of things to do. That was, interestingly, that was when I was looking up vacationing in Sri Lanka. Yeah. That was something that kept popping up when people were saying there was so much there. Yeah, because even when visit. we went to Hawaii... We were at a resort, but we went to a lot of places. Yes, we did. Yes. Very fun. Made it more fun that so way. So fun. <laughs> <laughs> if you were a doer, Sri Lanka is a great place to be yeah, vacationing. Right. If you want to go spend, say, 30 minutes at the beach and then <laughs> go and do something else. Right. Well, I'm not sure if they have Orange Julius in Sri Lanka. I bet they have fun drinks like Orange Julius there. I was thinking, drinks. after all that sightseeing you'd want something cool and refreshing i'm gonna i have to google what an orange julius is like orange julius what that's your thing that i love that the orange julius drink started as an orange juice stand in los angeles which was then famous for its orange groves oh no is this going to take a dark turn it's not like the lemonade <laughs> stand. Was it a little girl who started it and <laughs> gave her French she gave, she gave everybody out of the bubonic plague or something? <laughs> no. So back in 1926, Julius Freed started his orange juice stand. That would have been funny if his last name was Freeze. It would have been, yeah. <laughs> See, I was thinking Caesar. So I was when, thinking this was a very old drink. Now I'm a little disappointed. 
When he opened his first orange juice stand in 1926, he was doing well. His real estate broker, Bill Hamlin, also really liked oranges, but they were too acidic for his stomach. Using his chemistry background, Hamlin developed a formula to give the juice a smooth, creamy, and frothy texture. Once the new drink was available, Julius introduced it to his customers, and they loved it. Sales at the stand grew from $20 a day to $100 a day. Initially, the drink did not have a name. The legend behind the name says that it became so popular that customers began lining up at the store and saying, Give me an orange, Julius. The name eventually stuck, and the orange Julius got its name. Oh, that's funny. Isn't it? Hamlin quit his job in real estate and focused on opening Orange Julius stores across the United States. Within two years, there were 40 Orange Julius stores. What year would that have been? Um, let's see. It started in 26, so this would have been 1928. Wow. There were 40 Orange Julius stores, including one in Times Square. Within three years, so one year after that, there were 100 stores. Wow. And the profits for the system whose product was a 10-cent drink, approached $3 million. So that was in... That is some great capitalism right there. That is, and that was in 1928. $3 million. I don't know what the equivalent would be today. I'll look it up up? and get back to you. Okay. Uh, The fact that Hamlin quit his job in real estate for this was amazing to me, too. I mean, it went from $20 to $100 a day, right? So it was five times what they were making. But that's a pretty big deal, quitting your job and going for this Orange Julius store. So that's going to be around $45 million. In today's? In today's. Nice. In today's currency. Right. And how much did you say the drink was? Ten cents. Ten cents, which would be about a buck fifty. Okay. In the 1960s, which was not a great decade for a lot as of things, we as we found out from Randy. It was a great decade for Hawaiian tourism. True. That's true. Um, it was also a great decade for Orange Julius. It made its way into the malls, and it flourished there. In 1987, Dairy Queen purchased Orange Julius. So I contacted my niece, Brookie, who worked at a Dairy Queen when she was younger from 2007 to 2014. I didn't realize she worked there for seven years. Uh, And I asked her if they sold Orange Julius's, and she confirmed it. So you can get the Orange Julius drink there today. I don't know if it's $1.50. That would be really funny if it was. If it was the exact same price. Right, if it would have maintained its $0.10 price. So that's so funny because I remember them in malls. They were usually... Not like a storefront, but a little... Sh- like a kiosk? Like a kiosk in the middle of the mall walking area that you can go get an Orange Julius at. And I wondered what happened to them. So now you're connecting the dots for me that Dairy Queen bought them. And that's about the time frame that those disappeared. But I don't remember Dairy Queen buying them at all. That's complete inf- new information to me. I know. I had no idea either. It was shocking to me. So when I heard that... That's when I contacted Brookie. And I didn't know, you know, is it just in major cities that the Orange Julius was available? But apparently, it's all over. So some interesting facts about the Orange Julius, since we're already finding interesting things out, like Dairy Queen has them. The original stand also sold medicinal tonics and Bible tracts. Isn't that funny? (laughs) 
Or you gotta sell medicine it. for your body and your soul. Yes, and then an orange Julius. Diversity of product. Right. It is diversity of products. In 1964, Orange Julius was named the official drink of the World's Fair in New York. Wow. Isn't that hilarious? Yeah. Good for them. I know, right? (laughs) There's a fan club called the Julius League. From the 1970s through the early 1980s, the Orange Julius mascot was a devil with a pitchfork and an orange with the slogan, a devilish good drink. (laughs) Which is just funny since they sold Bible tracts at the (laughs) original. Oh, that is funny. Yeah. Okay, so it's a devilish good drink. Arizona State University claimed that it too closely resembled their mascot, Sparky, and after the school's alumni association threatened to sue, the Orange Julius Devil was dropped. So I'm looking at the two devils, and I'm going to show you guys too. I do not see how ASU could possibly sue Orange Julius. Orange Julius is a cute little vintage elf devil. He's on the top. Yep, cute little vintage. Elf devil, complete with elf ears and turned up shoes. Tiny horns sitting on an orange that has his pitchfork pitchfork that has his pitchfork poked through. His tail circles around the pitchfork. He has a little mustache and he's winking and smiling. He has short sleeves and a cape with lots of detail in the drawing. He almost looks more like a vampire than He does kind of, doesn't yeah, he? Because he has a, a large collar that's kinda Right, in the cape. So the ASU mascot is an angry looking devil. With his eyebrows down in the middle, a mustache and a goatee, larger horns, big individual teeth, a much shorter straight tail, a different shaped pitchfork, no cape, and very little detail at all in his clothing. So I think ASU owes Orange Julius an apology. I do too. Those are not the same. Those are not. All I can think of is potentially in 1968, there wasn't the proliferation of cartoon type of thing, so... Maybe it's, hey, these are both devils, and we can only have, like, one devil out there, so maybe there's something associated with that. They're definitely, I mean, the face structure is different. I mean, the color is different. And the, like, the arrogance of, you know, a university to say, oh, this giant industry stole their mascot from from us because we're so great. Our devil's so great. (laughs) Sparky, so cool. Sparky the... The ugly-looking devil is so great. <laughs> I, I mean, they're very different. They are very different. So I would encourage you, the listener, to go look at the two different devils. They are just so different. I can't believe Orange Julius backed down from that, and I wish somebody would have said, no. <laughs> We're goes, keeping our cute little elf devil. There goes your justice thing again. <laughs> I know, right? And finally, there's an Orange Julius University on the campus of the Dairy Queen headquarters in Minneapolis. Where they train store managers. I thought that was funny, that there's an Orange Julius University. (laughs) So, I was looking for Orange Julius recipes. Is uh, is the university's mascot a devil? (laughs) Maybe it's called Sporky the Devil? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. No. So, I was looking for a recipe for Orange Julius so that we could try it. And I found one. I finally decided on the one... From Girl Gone Grits blog. When she was younger, she had worked in a Orange Julius store. It was her first paying job in her hometown mall. And she said, I remember some of the requirements were that you had to be able to lift a 50-pound bag of sugar to pour into the giant drums with water to make simple syrup. Or I should say, sugar water, as I was trained to say. 
We also had to be able to cut and juice 75 oranges in 10 minutes using an electric juicer, something I bet I could still do today. So at the time, she was excited to get this job because she loved Orange Julius when she was little, and it was a treat when her mom would take her out for one. She also wanted to know what the secret was that made them so good. She says, I remember asking my manager what time, what was in that powder that made the Juliuses so special? Her reply was simple, it's a secret. The funny thing was that the ingredients were printed on the box and the bags of powder were always lifted out of it before any of us could see. She worked there in the early 80s before the Dairy Queen had acquired the brand. Years later and after lots of research, she's discovered that it was egg white powder mixed with dry milk and vanilla flavoring that is the secret ingredient. But it's not just the secret powder that makes it an Orange Julius, it's also the directions on how to make it. So here you go. According to her, in your blender, do the following in this order. Add one cup of fresh squeezed orange juice. She says, I swear this makes a difference, meaning that the orange juice is fresh squeezed. Then a half cup of the simple syrup. <laughs> she said, I never said this was a healthy smoothie, just a treat. Simple syrup is one part sugar to two parts water. So if you have one cup of sugar, dissolve it in two cups of water, bring it to a boil, then cool. All right. Now you need a teaspoon of dry milk, a teaspoon of egg white powder, and a half teaspoon of vanilla. Now fill the rest of the blender up with crushed ice. Why crushed ice? Because it blends quicker with the powders to create that frothy lightness. Blend and you get your orange Julius. I found the dry milk powder at the store, but I could not find genuine egg white powder. So I ordered it from Amazon and I just got it today. So when we're done here, I am gonna make us an orange Julius and we will see what we think of it. That's so fun. It is so fun. The end. <laughs> oh, okay. The orange Julius end. Also, well thank you for sharing another fun, cool drink. This one which have much more positive history to it. <laughs> it does. <laughs> At least that you shared. <laughs> right. So as always, we end our time together with future festivities. This is for the week of July 15th. So July 15th is Be a Dork Day. Enough said on that, I guess. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> July 16th, World Snake Day. I'm not sure if that is enjoying snakes around the world or this is related to the story of there being a snake inside the earth and some of the creation. Right. Um, the World Serpent Day. Yeah. Right, exactly, right. July 17th, National Hot Dog Day. Very American. July 18th, National Caviar Day. Not so American. <laughs> July 19th, Stick Out Your Tongue Day. Very Beth. Very, uh, <laughs> well, I was thinking uh, cats when they, you know, they stick out their oh. little tongues. And sometimes they stay stuck out and they're cute. Yep. July 20th, our favorite day, Moon Day. Oh, oh. about that? And well, maybe 21st is our favorite day, National Ice Cream Day. Yeah, baby. <laughs> so, for Randy, Colt, and Beth, happy, happy summer. summer.